just a quick warning that we're going to be talking about diving uh, and deaths and existentialism and life, which can be a pretty daunting topic, but also death and abortion, um, all sorts of potentially heavy shit, twinning. So if you're not in the right headspace for that kind of thing, maybe just skip this next large chunk of episodes. Part two of Divers. We're so excited. I'm like trying to stop myself from making just a bunch of let's dive right in jokes. Um, it's going to be hard though, and I can't guarantee that they're not going to slip out of my mouth um, as we go through this series. So brace yourself. That's fine. Yeah. I like the puns. <laughs> um, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, um, note that we did do a faux awards show bonus episode where we rated all of Nikki's best puns in the <laughs> Um, show descriptions so if you'd like to hear that come hang out on patreon <laughs> i forgot about that oh my god um <laughs> yeah so check us out on patreon it's linked in the show notes but also here's the episode we love this song we're scared of this song we're intimidated by this song we try really hard we'd love to hear from you good luck good luck <laughs> <laughs> all right should we get into the lyrics then Oh, God. Literal shiver. I shivered. (laughs) Um, Okay, fine. Let's do it. Fine, let's do it. Would you like to read the first verse? Okay. So, we start with... The diver is my love... And I am his, if I am not deceived, who takes one breath above for every hour below the sea, who gave to me a jewel worth twice this woman's life, but would cost her less than laying at low tide to see her true love phosphorus. So in brackets, we have, and I am his, if I am not deceived, and we also have in brackets, um, but would cost her less than laying at low tide to see her true love phosphorus. Okie dokie. I feel like we've talked about, um, I think in Have One On Me, the title track of that album, we talked about the italicization of different parts maybe being a different narrator. What are we thinking about brackets about things separated here because my first impression is that it's like like an inner thought thing your inner brain goes like and I'm his if I'm not deceived there's like that inner voice that's like questioning yes I think that's exactly that's I think a, a great take on it that there's this it's like the narrator is telling us a story and everything that is uniquely from her perspective like is is partial to her experience not partial but like um yeah just essentially her experience rather than like what you would tell if you were telling this story is in parentheses like uh yeah it's like her her inner thoughts I guess her doubts even too because yes like the I'm uh, I am his if I'm not deceived is like this like doubtful thought and then like the thing that would cost her less isn't a doubtful thought, but it's her her inner experience. Yeah, I like that inter- interpretation a lot. I like that doubtful thought. Yeah. And I think it's a very true one, right? Like through her discography, we've had, we know of this deceit, right? Like yeah. we all were listening to <laughs> Have One On Me. We were all there. It does not suffice to merely lie beside each other as those who love each other do. So yeah. like... Mm. there's some truth to that yeah it it sets up the song right from the second line as this like it's not gonna be 
a straight romance song. <laughs> like it's not going to yeah. be a tidy ending song either. Like uh, I think I'm his. I can hope that I'm his, but like, that's all you're going to get. We're not going to get a definitive statement. So it sets us up on this uneasy note from the get go. I think. Oh, I like uneasy. Yeah. As a description of this. And it's not even like naming, oops, it's not even like naming the deception as coming uh, directly from him, right? It's not, I am, yeah. if I'm not deceived by him, right, if right. I'm not deceived by them. It's like a general, if I am not deceived. And I think within the context of this album, that could be him for sure, but it could also be time, it could be life, yes. it could be death, it could be yes. all of these other space uh things that we've talked about and also maybe it could be like a doppelganger <laughs> it could be like a doppelganger I no i know. love we don't I, know i love that that it's not specifically mentioning that it's him deceiving her it's open it leaves us it leaves that interpretation open that it is him who's doing mm-hmm. the de- deceiving but yeah like you said it could also be like fuckery and perspectives in in yeah time and all sorts could of shit be that she's deceiving herself too right? yes yes that's a great point. Um, I also thought I would note here just about the very first word um, mm-hmm. on the Joanna Newsom lyrics site. Th- um, it always does this comparison between the way that the lyrics are printed on the record and then what she actually sings. And in the comparison for this one, for this song, there's only one word that changes between the way mm-hmm. that it's on the record and the way that it's written on the liner notes and the way she sings it on the record. And it is the first word of the song. So the official lyrics say that it is a diver is my love, but she sings it as the diver is my love. So I thought that one word actually might be significant because if official lyrics are a diver, Mm -hmm. it opens the door to divers divers. yeah Yeah. exactly yeah yeah yeah. it's non-specific yes and it sort of implies that like and there's a a bunch of other divers too right it's not Mm -hmm. just the one um i don't know i thought we could keep that in mind Hmm. okay and then what do we get here we get him just so beautifully put but he takes one breath above for every hour below the sea which is not humanly possible <laughs> for the record. In case you were thinking maybe it was. Um, it can't be done. Some things I googled related to this. Um, humans, I think what I found was that humans could hold their breath for maximum a minute. Was it a minute? Hold on. What if he has scuba can- gear? Well, I wasn't thinking of that. (laughs) But then why would you need to come up every hour? Yeah, for a breath. Good point. Oh, my God. 24 minutes? No. 22 minutes. No, shut up. In 2012, Tom Sietas held his breath underwater for 22 minutes and 22 seconds. What? The woman's record is 18 minutes, 32.59 seconds. I'm sorry, without breathing? The International Association for the Development of Apnea, oh boy, which records all freediving world records, does not allow. So these people use, the first two people used pure oxygen before their dives or before immersing in water. Oh yeah, the the woman um, hyperventilated with oxygen for 24 minutes before. So just like really filling yourself up. You're just one giant blob of oxygen. (laughs) Um, But if you don't do that, the current non- oxygenated records stand at 11 minutes i Dude, thought that it was is like three minutes that's bonkers that is so crazy regardless regardless okay yeah i was putting a uh, colleen spin on this and i was like okay but what about animals mm-hmm. so cuvier's cuvier's beaked whale can hold their breath for 67 minutes wow. an elephant seal is 119 minutes a sperm whale is 90 minutes seals like the selkie are 80 minutes and a narwhal which we also talked about um in colleen is about 25 minutes um wow and also i didn't know this but like this is just a random fact birds have like little air sac lungs all throughout their bodies i didn't notice 
air sacs that look like bubbles in their neck and their wings by their tail. I didn't For know. breathing? Mm-hmm. I had absolutely no idea. Very weird. Okay. All right. So that's a lot of breath holding. <laughs> it makes me want to take a deep breath. Yeah. Oof. I mean, regardless, the image that we get is this person who is not spending a lot of time on her level, right? Who like, mm. we mm-hmm. get a mere breath for every hour that he's down there. It's nothing. Like it's so little time that we get with this person, with her love. Yes. It's an un- it's an unfair ratio there, right? Yeah. The time is not being spent um, equally. Right. Um, on Genius, this line is annotated by saying, from this line onwards, the narrator compares her lover to a pearl hunter. The figure of the pearl is recurrent through the lyrics. There is the possibility that the lover spends a lot of time, probably emotionally, far from the narrator, but during the moments they are for real together, the lover gives her precious emotions. Um, so yeah, there's this question about like what the jewel means here, the jewel that he gives her or gave her, who gave to me a jewel. Is it a pearl that he got? Is it a different kind of jewel? Is it an engagement ring? Is it what? Is it? I wanted a to baby? assume. <laughs> mm. At my most base analysis, I was like, it's a pearl and it's an engagement ring. But mm. I like the idea that it's a baby. So I hadn't thought of the baby angle until I got David to read the lyrics last night. And he was like, well, yeah, of course, it's about a baby. And I was like, well, wait, this like colors, this like changes the way I interpret the song. And then I saw Rachel Parent had the same sort of theory on Blessing All the Birds, um, where Mm. she, so both David and I think Rachel wanted to compare it to a dead fetus because the pearl of death. And Rachel in particular made baby bird connections, which let me just see if I can. What's a pearl of death? Well, yeah, that's a great question. Um, Right. Okay. So Rachel writes, first, the image of the pearl oyster is one that has vexed me repeatedly since first hearing the song. I have read it at times as a symbol for a child. At other times, I've been uncomfortable with that reading. The pearl costs twice this woman's life, which, which, oh my God, I can't read today, which suggests to me the life of a mother and a child sharing the same body. The narrator discusses birth repeatedly in the song, and there are images of fertility in the idea of the lover yoking the waves and laying a bed of shining pearls. Joanna often uses the image of a plow and sowing of seeds to represent fertility. The moment of the shucking of the pearl is similarly startling as the moment in Baby Birch when the rabbit is slit and skinned. Yet, I'm not entirely committed to this reading, and even if I was, I don't think I could fully understand what exactly it is saying about anything. (laughs) relatable (laughs) very fair yeah um so anyways just for us to keep in the back of our minds that that could be a theme that this could represent a baby i think is really interesting and um and yeah is in keeping with the themes of birth and death and eternal cycles and twinning too in this like very literal like if we're thinking Mm -hmm. about like cloning uh and especially as it contrasts with waltz and the 101st lightborn we get this cloning that happens because of like the splitting of timelines and like time traveling and like meeting your doppelganger and all that shit. Um, and here we might get cloning in the form of like having babies, right? It's a kind of way of cloning like you and your partner and giving something else, your DNA to go live on this. Yeah. This existence without you. Yeah. It's the, it's the worthiness of this jewel that I think gets me here. And I like the idea of it tied to a baby because that is something that is inherently um, valuable. Yeah. Um, I hadn't thought of that at all. And I was just thinking of it as like, this jewel has its worth because of the work that goes into collecting it. Yeah. Right. um, And the time that it takes. Right. Yeah. Like worth that it takes. Yeah. Worth to who? Like, who mm-hmm. is it worth that much to? Is it, like you said, because, like, the diver spends all of his time down there and not with her, and so she's just sort of inferring from the amount of time he dedicates to each that, like, this jewel must be pretty fucking 
valuable because like you don't spend that much time with me and like therefore it's it's more valuable than I am twice as valuable yeah. yeah and it's also a worthiness that's compared to the value of a woman's life yeah which I'm going to assume is heavily devalued yeah right in many of the contexts we've talked about right so like what is our actual comparison happening here right um I don't know so we get this jewel it's worth twice the woman's life um uh, but it would cost her this is so beautiful it would cost her less than laying at low tide to see her true love phosphorus. So there's this super expensive jewel that is cheaper than the price that she pays for the for laying at low tide to see her true love phosphorus. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I, I don't know Madison. what any of this so means. <laughs> so so did you do I think you did some research on phosphorus, right? Yes, it's so fun. Okay, so I would love your insights on this because I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Okay. So just an intro, phosphorescence is a type of photoluminescence related to fluorescence. When exposed to light, sorry, when exposed to light, uh, known as radiation of a shorter wavelength, a phosphorescent substance will glow, absorbing the light and re-emitting it at a longer wavelength. Unlike fluorescence, a phosphorescent material does not immediately remit the radiation it absorbs. So it's not going in and coming back out. That mm-hmm. energy isn't going in and out really quickly. Instead, a phosphorescent material absorbs some of the radiation energy and remits it for a much longer time after the radiation source is removed. So it like captures this radiation energy, holds on to it, and very slowly mm. emits it, um, which made me think about memories for whatever reason. Um, okay, and then what cool connection did I oh, make? Interesting. I, I Wikipedia. Like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, the memories thing. I just I took me a second to process, but yeah, that's really cool. So, that so go yep, ahead. No, go. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I was going to clarify. So, the phosphorescence, it's radiation that is being held on to and then emitted, right? Yeah. A- and is radiation visible in via light? Is it light? Is it like a, a visual effect? Um, that I don't know phosphorus when exposed to light of a shorter wavelength a phosphorus substance will glow absorbing the light and remitting it at a shorter length oh oh, oh, okay so it is it's like this glowing this slow glow (laughs) yeah here i'll share my screen with you for a sec there's a phosphorescent bird thing so kind of creepy it is kind of creepy it's like a glowing Yeah, like it looks like a glow in the dark thing, sort of like a glow stick. It does, yeah. like those stars you used to put on your ceiling that always, yes. I don't know, they always fell off. Yes, I loved those stars. I had them up in constellations in my room, yeah. Oh, very cute. Okay, this was, and this is just me going down a winding Joanna Newsome tunnel here. <laughs> the term phosphorus, phosphorus comes from the ancient Greek word phos, meaning light, and the Greek suffix phoros meaning to bear Ooh, to bear light combined with the latin suffix ascentum meaning becoming of having a tendency towards or with an essence of thus phosphorescence literally means having a tendency to bear light Ooh, really cool which I didn't connect. So I was like, oh, it's like monkey and bear. Like, obviously, bear was the one who carried all of the light and all of the awareness and all of the knowledge in that song. But now that you've mentioned having a baby, possibly as some of the meanings in the song, I'm like, oh, you are literally bearing light. Like, you're bearing that shiny pearl. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and it's confusing because it's the dive it's the guy doing this he's phosphorescing i don't know if that's a verb i guess because phosphoresce so to see her yes. true love she turned it into a verb yeah <laughs> um but what does that mean though the what's what part of it like to see her true love phosphoresce Is that what, what does mean? laying at low tide to see her true love phosphoresce what does that mean so she's laying question. at low tide watching the diver 
glowing light watching the diver give off energy like I don't understand is it that wait is it that we okay we have a choice to um collect these jewels in two ways we can a become the diver and take one breath above for every hour below the sea Mm -hmm. and go um diving in this like incredibly complex and dangerous task or we can wait until low tide. Mm. That doesn't, it seems like if there was an easier option, we would just take it. And then the diver would just be a shorer and would just wait on low tide for, oh no. Okay. So this is an article on pearl hunting. Mm. In most cases, article, this is Wikipedia. In most, I wish Wikipedia would sponsor us. If we're going to get one sponsor, <laughs> I would love it to be Wikipedia. I donate to Wikipedia, so let That's this be amazing. A free, I was just straight up bragging about it, but like, let this be love free Wikipedia. advertisements for Wikipedia as our donation. <laughs> a completely legitimate source. Anyone who tells you otherwise is wrong. In most cases, the pearl-bearing mollusks live at depths where they are not manually accessible from the surface, and diving or the use of some form of tool is needed to reach them. Historically, mollusks were retrieved by free diving, a technique where the diver descends to the bottom, collects what they can, and surfaces on a single breath. Um, A diving mask improved the ability of the diver to see while underwater, and a diving diving helmet became available for underwater work. Blah, blah, blah. Interesting. The the holding your breath thing made me think that like maybe for the takes one breath above for every hour below the sea, maybe she maybe it's just her distortion of time already. Maybe he is only down there for like twenty minutes or whatever pearl divers can do. But like she is distorting time in her perception of it by being like it's a fucking hour every time he's down there. Like it's so long. Like in the way that our perception of time can be fucked by by our emotions. I feel like, so when I think of pearl diving, I think of, I watched some documentary about like the Japanese uh, pearl divers um, who do this, who are, I believe, traditionally women. Oh. Um, And I feel like they only dive for a minute or two because they don't use like technical gear, Mm -hmm, or at least they didn't traditionally. Um. Okay, so yeah, go ahead. Were you gonna say something? No. You sure? I was, but it's not. No, no, say it. Um. So Ama is the name of these uh, female pearl divers practiced a breathing technique in which the divers would release air in a long whistle once they resurfaced from the dive. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. In a long whistle. That makes me think of something, but I can't remember what it makes there me think of. There was a whistle of. somewhere. Yeah, there was a whistle somewhere. A divine whistle. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, I was sitting right here. You know when <laughs> you, you... I was sitting right here when we talked about the divine whistle. Yeah. But... No idea what context that was in. If you guys remember... Uh, hit us up with that information because that is gone from my brain. Okay, so my interpretation of this admittedly very confusing um, but also fucking gorgeous and part of this verse is that I get this image of the woman like chasing the tide almost. So like, like as the tide gets lower and lower she's like right there she's like she's like inching forward with the tide just like slowly all day waiting and like creeping forward and forward and forward which brings her like closer and closer and closer to the diver because he's you know deeper and deeper and as the tide goes back you get to get deeper and deeper but she's bound to the shore she can't get in that water so I have this image of the woman laying down her body flat at low tide, getting as close as she possibly can to him without actually getting in the water, all for the purpose of seeing her true love, like in his element, like doing what he does best mm. and glowing in the sense of like um, being alive and like, you know, like 
being fully himself, glowing with like this like life and excitement and and purpose. Um, and so taken with like the value and cost metaphor happening here, I think that my interpretation of it at least tentatively is that doing that, like chasing after him and being stuck at low tide and like laying her body down to like get as close as she can to him and like being so, I don't know what the word is like, I don't want to say desperate, but like desperate for like just a glimpse of him doing his thing and like so in love that like that whole process costs her so much, like costs her her life essentially um because the the jewel that costs her less than doing this is worth twice her life and so it costs her everything that she has to like play this game and like engage with him in this kind of way um yeah that, like that that it's so expensive <laughs> basically for her expensive emotionally speaking i love that and i wonder if it also has something to do with um Oh, don't don't leave me idea. Um, 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 shit, it's gone. It's gone. Damn um, it. Hate when that happens. Um, but yeah, and so like, there's this obvious gender di- dynamic here of like this woman not being able to leave and being stuck and and that being stuck slash in love, <laughs> uh, just taking everything that she has like it it just it's all consuming and it's it's it sucks the life out of you in a way I don't know does it also have something to do with those borders that like as women we cannot be the diver we cannot leave the land we are stuck on this arid land in this arid world um And, like, we want so badly to glimpse into this other perspective. Um, But that the cost of that is your life or something. Yeah, so, like, the cost of of crossing the border, you mean, like, is is super expensive? Yeah. Yeah. Although, like, I almost get the vibe here that she's also saying that, like, not doing that, not crossing the border is like too much mm. to bear. Like that, like that's what I'm supposed to do is like lay at low tide and just like wait for him. But like, Oh my God, I can't fucking wait anymore. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'm I not sure. That. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's uh, obscure in a sense. <laughs> I hesitate to use that <laughs> word because it feels, it feels like I'm saying that she didn't do a good job at getting her message across. And obviously that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, it's just not straightforward. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And nothing ever is. Right. Exactly. I feel like it's also worth noting that who gave to me a jewel worth twice this woman's life. Mm -hmm. It's not twice a woman's life. Just when it's like a diver, the diver and this woman. Yeah. 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 And we're also talking about her, in kind of a, a separated and kind of a little bit of a distant way, right? But would cost her less. Yeah, that's weird. Like, it, it's not, it feels like our narrator is not talking about herself. This woman's Yeah, actually, this, this, this is woman. super weird. I didn't notice that, but you're right. She starts by saying, by using the pronoun my, right? Like, the diver yeah. is my love. And then... I am his if I am not deceived. Yeah, she, he gave to her... Love. Gave to me a jewel worth twice this woman's life. You could also say this woman's life. This woman is thirsty. It doesn't feel like um, completely correct, but but would cost her less. It's this weird perspective. Yeah, it it I I think that you're right to to question it because maybe this is like totally speaking out of my ass but maybe what it does here is that it it's gives us the hint of um positioning this song as being more of a universal experience than applying to just this singular person so it's worth twice this woman's life so what that does instead instead of saying 
it's worth twice my life. It, mm-hmm. it makes it less specific. It makes it less zoomed out and makes it more a comment maybe on the fact that there are many women who could say this, you know what I you But know it's what I mean? also not as specific as worth twice a, a woman's, woman's life. life. Yeah, true. It's not the f- it's not the full zoom out. We're somewhere in between the individual and the collective. Right, right. She's not saying this is every woman's experience, but she's like mm-hmm. this woman, and and mm-hmm. just the naming of gender right from the first verse mm-hmm. probably is important too. Like she's already being like, listen, I'm gonna comment on something about gender. Like I, I th- that it's a woman she's specifically naming makes me perk up my ears. <laughs> Okay, now I'm also thinking about tides as a way of telling time. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked about that. That one of the earliest, I forgot that, yeah, one of the earliest timekeeping devices was that it sound was like, there was like uh, a device that sailors would keep on the side of their boats and they would like measure how much water it had in it. And that's how they would tell time because the tide would rise and fall at very something like that cyclical scheduled times i feel like it was like one of the first waves and i guess tide too is just a a very like paradigmatic example of a cyclical thing like a very Mm -hmm. repetitive rising and falling sort of mirroring the the breathing that we were talking about at the beginning uh, when and we're the musicality t- of all yes. of this, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, you can download an app to find out what the tides are going to be. Mm. <gasps> Look at this beautiful... I'm going to share my screen with you again. Sorry, everyone. This beautiful, perfectly shaped Rising ascension and descension of time. Yeah, of tide. <laughs> yeah, man. So cool. Side note too, I love how in within one album she uses both the terms fluorescence and phosphorescent or phosphoresce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like who else can do that? Yeah. The fluorescence was in uh Sapaconican. The text will not yield or X rays revealed with reveal with any fluorescence where the hand I remember the talking about that, yep. Yeah. Okay. Do you have anything else for this first verse? It's a doozy. This whole song is a doozy. I'm not even clear what that word means, but. I do have one other thing. Yes, please. This is from an NPR interview. Ooh. And the, I don't have my, you know, at the beginning of this, this hopeless endeavor, my sources were beautiful and clear and clean. This time I just wrote NPR interview. Perfect. (laughs) Can't tell you more than that. Um, The interviewer asks, uh, let me ask you about the title track from Divers and the lines, a diver is my love and I am his if I am not deceived. What do you take from the image of a diver? What do you want us to take from it? Which is like, great question. (laughs) We would love the answer to that. We are waiting Uh, with bated breath. (laughs) She says, it's a little simplistic for me to say that I write down the images that are in my mind because it's not like I have a frozen image that I'm illustrating with the language, but it's maybe a set of sort of visual imperatives and feelings and ideas that feel connected to me and feel like they're waiting to be connected. Mm. The diving imagery is the most literal in this song, but there are incidents of diving in various forms throughout the record, falling or crashing in an airplane or dive bombing or being a bird diving for prey. I'm like, check, 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 check. Yes. Yes, we have talked about all of these. When did the bird diving for prey happen? Was that anecdotes? Maybe. Probably. I thought of Kingfisher because yeah. we talked about that explicitly. But yes. That's not, that's not here. No. Um, but I do think there are similar themes in Kingfisher and in Divers. But anyways, yeah. Okay. So very interesting. So this is the most literal depiction of diving, but that sort of movement happens all over. Yeah, which we got, but I just liked her spelling it out. Yes. Um, Anytime Joanna gives us like a tidbit of like a hint about what direction to face in terms of trying to do what we're doing. We face it. We turn our bodies towards that And then we obsess about it in a way that probably is not what she intended, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, okay. Uh, shall we proceed? 
Sure. Okay. Um, the next verse is, and in an infinite regress, colon, tell me why is the pain of birth lighter born than the pain of death? I ain't saying that I loved you first, but I loved you best. Okay. I feel like this is extraordinarily loaded with things that I don't know how to make sense <laughs> of very well. <laughs> Uh, where should we start? Should we start with the infinite regress? I mean, this morning I was making coffee before I wasn't making coffee. Maybe it was last night. <laughs> and I was thinking about this line specifically. And my reaction was like, of course, the pain of birth is lighter born than the pain of death. Because when you're born, you're not conscious yet. Like you're not aware of your birth right until you're at least I don't think you are like until you're there but by the time you die you have a certain level of understanding of loss you have a certain consciousness um, and it's I don't know I feel like I was just like yeah for yeah, sure. that makes sense. Birth is yeah. like born. I get it. Yeah. And it's like a celebration and like, yeah, I, I took the question to be less like from the perspective of the person being born and dying and rather like communally. Like why mm -hmm. do we, we, as soon as birth happens and all that pain is over, we just like move the fuck right on. But like with mm -hmm. death, like it's characterized by pain actually th this makes me think so much of I just I'm developing this course in medical in medical ethics and I just wrote this extensive script on the philosoph the philosophy of death and like why mm. death is bad and there's this um this famous puzzle put forth by um like an ancient philosopher named Epicurus um who's I'm sure you guys have heard of it's fairly well known but um it's so interesting and like really hard to answer and still a really influential question. And his thought was basically this, like death is nothing to us. Death is not bad for the person who dies because mm. while we're alive, we don't have death. And then when death comes to us, we're no longer there. So like, because mm. there's no one to experience the death, it's actually not bad for the person who dies. Like, yeah, it's painful for everybody else, but not for the person who dies. And it's surprisingly hard to explain why that might be wrong. Like it seems, yeah, I don't know. What are your, do you have any thoughts on that? I think that's very true. And I think that's why I feel so weirdly about, you know, really extravagant, um, like in Vancouver, there is this huge piece of land um, uh, that is used for uh, a cemetery mm -hmm. and you have to drive through it. It's like these two giant um, pieces of land in a city with a housing crisis. And every single time that I drive through there, I'm like, what is the purpose of this? Yeah. Like, not that I'm saying I want to disturb all of these people buried there because I probably don't think that's a good idea either but like what is the purpose these people are dead yeah like, yeah there, there are people that need shelter in homes that are alive right now that like uh, could very much benefit from this land being used for other purposes a hundred percent it's yeah. a very accessible parcel of land like, yeah I don't understand why and it's also like the cost to own a piece of land um, is upwards like thousands twenty thirty thousand dollars to have a tract of land to be buried there yeah it's crazy um, that's crazy and so I think I agree with your philosopher here like I don't if you're dead you're dead if you're dead you're dead matter? yeah and I get that mourning people need a place to visit but why does it have to be like, why can't it be a traveling place? Why can't it be something in your house? Like, yeah, it doesn't I need to take know. up the space. Yeah. What yeah. Do you think? Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, yeah, I think it's I think that funerals and and gravestones and stuff are more for the living than they are for the dead. And especially if there's a housing crisis, I totally agree with you that it should not be dedicated to 
connect that necessarily. Um, but yeah, this idea that like you can't be harmed once you're dead uh, is an interesting one. And it sort of just like motivates maybe if you like for anyone who might be having trouble, trouble with the, the question, why is the pain of birth lighter born in the pa- than the pain of death? That like it, to push you in the direction that like death doesn't necessarily have to be so painful. Like, so like to take seriously her question of why is the pain of birth lighter born than the pain of death? Like that. Oh, actually this is a good time maybe to read this fucking quote that I sent Sam that I am obsessed with. Mm. by Nabokov um, in his autobiography called Speak Memory. So it, it sort of speaks about this asymmetry between our, our intuitions about life and our intuitions about death or birth and death. But he like throws that into flux. He like gives, he makes us question it in a way that is just like unbelievably beautiful. Okay, so he writes, The cradle rocks above an abyss, and common sense tells us that our existence is but a brief crack of light between two eternities of darkness. Although the two are identical twins, man, as a rule, views the prenatal abyss with more calm than the one that he is headed uh, headed for at some 4,500 heartbeats an hour. I know, however, of a young chronophobiac who experienced something like panic when looking for the first time at homemade movies that had been taken a few weeks before his birth. He saw a world that was practically unchanged, the same people, sorry, the same house, the same people, and then realized that he did not exist there at all and that nobody mourned his absence. He caught a glimpse of his mother waving from an upstairs window and that unfamiliar gesture disturbed him as if it were some mysterious farewell. But what particularly frightened him was the sight of a brand new baby carriage standing there on the porch with the smug, encroaching air of a coffin. Even that was empty, as if, in the reverse course of events, his very bones had disintegrated. Oh my fucking God, what are you up to, Nabokov? That's so good. It's so good, and I think it speaks so clearly to that like flash of existence yeah right like that we like exactly what she's saying here that um there is no pain in death because once we're gone we're gone and uh, we're not able to like he is describing in this passage see what it was like before or after us yes yeah and and the the thought that like like, as you said, like, what came before us and what comes after us, like, both of those things are just non-existence, right? And so if mm-hmm. non-existence is on either side of those, uh, of that, like, brief crack of light, then, like, why the fuck are we so afraid of the non-existence that comes after death and, like, that we don't fear or, like, don't mourn, uh, don't think it's bad for us, the non-existence that comes before life, right? If, mm-hmm. if they're both non-existence and we're supposed to think non-existence is bad, that means that we should think that non-existence before birth is bad too, but we don't. Um, Lucretius is a, another philosopher who articulated like that very same point, this idea of symmetry. Um, but I l- also, f- from the Nabokov quote, loved the like, reversal of time as though you're like rewinding the film Mm -hmm. like that like flexibility with time travel e themes i thought was just perfect for this and and the theme of twinning uh the although the two are identical twins the abyss after life and the abyss before life um and like this passage describes seeing space carved out for you without you existing yet yeah yeah which is just like mind-blowing like seeing the baby carriage or whatever it was that he described and knowing that that was a place that you will be but not yet existing not yet taking up that space Mm -hmm. so cool and yeah mind-blowing 
Yeah. I also loved the crack of light between eternities of darkness and was like, okay, is that what the shore is? Is that what we're doing? Phosphorescing on the shore? Mm-hmm. Are we between the two darknesses of, is the shore this like light space between the two darknesses of water and mm-hmm. land? Um, I don't know. Just I don't a know. Fun thought. But I love that though. I love the linking of light with life i mean as that that's like a that's not a new um uh comparison but i didn't think of it in this context of like yeah i don't know but like what it is to phosphorus is to like inhabit that brief crack of light that nabokov was talking about exactly nikki and also there might be this play on words then that i didn't notice before when she says why is the pain of birth lighter born than the pain of death. And so the idea of bearing light, um, both by phosphorescing and by like Waltz of the Hundred First Lightborn, if we're talking about chiasmus themes between the two, um, mm-hmm. maybe that was a non-accidental wordplay there. I love that play of lighter born and light born. Yeah. Um, there's a weight difference there, right? Yeah. Um, light and lighter and there's some like ascension-y stuff in there too um cool so cool i also i'm just partial to anybody who's like uh, okay like this might be a stretch but let me just let me just go on this tangent for a second so i'm stretching with you (laughs) thank you so much though i so appreciate that um so like I don't know. In the feministy themes of this song, I'm so partial to anybody calling attention to like take the pain of birth more seriously. That shit hurts so bad. Um, as a person who has recently ish given birth, I just love the idea that she's like, look, maybe like maybe pointing at or gesturing towards the idea that like culturally we just don't take seriously the pain of birth because it's like this thing that's very much tied to women obviously not exclusively but like that women traditionally have had to endure and have to continue to endure and that like as a culture we dismiss that um so maybe there's this feminization of birth and a masculine masculinization of death um in that respect if that makes any sense at all it does because if we're thinking of birth as an eternally feminine thing and we think about um, like uh, women's pain as something that's traditionally ignored, yeah, right? Um, the pain of death is something to be... It's something that I think takes, has been like uh, posed as something that takes strength. It's something to be faced. It's yeah. something to like be brave and to like stand against. To fight. Um, to fight. Yeah. To fight against. Exactly. So there's this like aggressive impetus there. Like rage, um, rage against the dying of the light. Like that. Yes. That. Yeah. I forget whose poem that is, but yeah. Frost, like right? don't let it take you fight against yes. that yeah exactly um whereas the pain of birth is just something to be i want to say born but that's <laughs> not the right word it's something to be b-o-r-n-e it's something just to be um taken at face value yeah it's something to be dismissed because like even to be dismissed like my experience at least of of having given birth is like like it hurts and it hurts for so long after and I just I encountered over and over if I would mention the fact that it was really painful or that I had a 36 hour labor or that like I was still recovering with like stitches in all the sensitive places for like weeks and weeks after that people would always be like yeah but like you got a beautiful baby out of it and I'm like of course I'm not I'm not dismissing that I have a beautiful baby it's It's the best thing in the world exactly it can both things can be true that I can be in excruciating pain and that yeah I get this beautiful baby but like both those things matter and only one of those things is paid attention to so like it it, the that woman that feminized pain is pushed to the side in a way that the masculinized (laughs) pain of death maybe isn't 
And that's the lighter born excuse then, yeah. right? That your pain should be lighter born because you get this, you get this reward yeah. for, um, for the labor, for the pain. Whereas what's the reward for death yeah. other than like a release from <laughs> the endless cogs and suffering of living? Right. Um, yeah, exactly. And so I like this maybe like dual meaning then interpretation of this lyric where she's commenting on like this cyclical like nature of like life and death and all these huge questions but also maybe the gendered aspect of like um because like okay I sort of have I don't really know when to get into this so now it seems like as good of a time as any but I sort of have this theory working theory on this song that she is contrasting two kinds of diving that can happen where the man gets to go diving out into the sea and doing his exploring and catching pearls of knowledge and wisdom and all that shit but that the woman is also doing this still diving where she dives into herself and like there's this Mm -hmm. particular knowledge and these particular like pearls of wisdom that can come from doing this staying still diving into one's own like emotions and feelings and experiences and she talks to like she talks about diving to the bottom of her life which makes me think that like she isn't saying that women don't do diving it's just a different kind of diving that is done and so what were why was I talking about this now uh because I think I was trying to make some sort of connection between saying that like look that kind of diving is neglected that kind of diving is not taken seriously the like inner diving that women have been forced to do for forever in the same way that maybe the the pain of birth is also cast aside I don't know maybe a stretch we can stretch together We can stretch together. I love it. Yeah. I'm so here for all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that works beautifully with so many of the themes of memory and remembrance and how you're remembered um, throughout history that the achievements of these diving men are recorded in the record, but like that self-diving, that female diving is entirely um, disregarded yes. and devalued. Yes, no one's making note of that or keeping the hit, like commenting on the historical like insights that women have had to um, the kinds of insights that women have had to uh, attain. I don't even know how you phrase that, but yeah, exactly that. Like that that gets totally neglected and is still valuable. Um, and it also sort of speaks to this. Like, very stereotypical, but also, like, Simone de Beauvoir, Ian, uh, um, thought, where she, we talked about this before, I know we did, but just to refresh, like, she pits, um, she describes what it is to be a woman by, uh, in terms of men staking out their positions and women having to like respond Mm -hmm. to that. And so like if men declare themselves as the rational ones, uh, then they like other women and women and say like, you are something different than me. And so if I'm rational, then you're emotional. And so like women are characterized by that because of men's stake in the world, like because of what men claim first. And then Mm -hmm. they have the power to like pit us against them in that way. Um, yeah. And so it sort of speaks to like women have to do the emotional searching within themselves because men have pitted themselves out as like the explorers that get to go out into the outer world. And so like what that does is it forces women into this position of having to dive into themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's so beautiful and awful and (laughs) not great. Yeah. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, fun. This is like one of these examples of like, oh, I didn't think of this shit until we started talking, but it's fun to. I was so hoping it would. <laughs> Yay! My research was very limited. Good though. That's this is what we like. Let us know your thoughts on that, listeners, because we're stretching. But it seems like it might be a worthwhile stretch. I don't know. I think so. Um. Okay, so about this line, tell me why is the pain of birth lighter born than the pain of death? There's a genius annotation that I thought was maybe worth reading. So someone says, as birth and death are thought to mark the beginning and ending of a life cycle in the traditional realm of time, 
Questions may arise as to why one regards the birth, which is often a time-consuming and immeasurably painful process, as a positive event in comparison to death, which may be brief and painless. The question posed in these latter uh, the question posed in these lines is later revisited in time as a symptom, where it receives an answer. So it would seem to be true when cruel birth debases we forget, when cruel death debases we believe it erases all the rest that precedes. In the latter song, Newsom argues that the physical pain a mother must endure during childbirth is forgotten soon after the harrowing event because the joy of a life inspires in both the bearer of, uh, of the child and her friends slash family. There is a stark contrast between the flowering fields that lay before a family after a new being is introduced and the barren valleys of a terminated existence, the contents of which hold precedence over the events of even the most luminous life. Excellent writing, whoever did this. Yeah, beautiful job. Beautiful job. Oh my God, someone else on Genius talked about Lucretius and the symmetry argument against the fear of death on this entry cool. that makes me feel less crazy it really does are you sure it's not you from the past i'm not no no, no it's not it's not line of beauty <laughs> is the first contributor i do get notifications about this song though on one of my annotations on genius this song comes up weirdly often uh, that's cool <laughs> but yeah i loved just the framing of that i love that this is the question being posed that like later gets answered in the last song on the album that's so cool i feel like we've talked about this recently too but that it is like a biological tool that women forget pain after birth yes that in order to do it again your mind and your body need to be able to forget what the process of birth was um in order to be able to give birth again because if you remembered all of that in the minute and painful detail yeah that it would not be possible to. a thousand percent yeah you just wouldn't do it you just would not do it again yeah. you couldn't yeah you couldn't how yeah there's that psychological um effect called the the peak end effect i think and it it basically tested people and found that like of painful experiences or of i think maybe any i'm speaking out of turn but at least for sure of painful experiences that the thing that the person that people tend to remember is the worst point and then how it was at the end so if you mm. endure like a super super painful experience that lasts like a long long extended amount of time you're not going to remember like the accumulation of all of that pain you're just going to remember like the worst that it was and that how it and how it ended so if you want it to end if you, if the experience ends on a good note then that colors your memory of the whole process and of course like birth seems to be like that right the experience ends mm -hmm. on this like fucking euphoric note of getting to hold your baby and so you erase like that literally in your memory like warps the way that you think about it and so when we get to time as a symptom and she talks about uh uh yeah the answer to that question birth debases yeah exactly so fucking interesting oh, who I is this wait for that song too i love that fucking song although that'll be the end of the album and that gives me straight up anxiety i don't want to be done so we have so far completely avoided maybe intentionally the, the i ain't saying that i loved you first but i loved you best line i don't think intentionally okay all right um i love that it's a really casual ain't yeah i ain't saying that i loved you first um i don't really get it <laughs> <laughs> i <laughs> I'm with you, so I'm with you. I ain't saying that I loved you first. So is this first like he loved her first? Right. Or like are we talking about the succession of love? Right. Of loves, of lovers that we've had? Um, and that like this diver is our favorite one. This is our best. I ain't saying that I love you first. But I loved you. And this is past tense too, right? Mm -hmm. I ain't saying that I loved you first, but I loved you best. Yeah, it's, it is weird that it's past tense, that I loved you best. Because it implies also, that she doesn't currently love him best. 
It does. Yeah. But are also, are we talking about him or are we talking about the baby? Yeah. Great question. If there is a baby. If there is a baby. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea either. But, I mean, given that we're talking about straight-up birth and, like, reproduction here, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's an interesting take. It's also the first time, the first of at least what um, the Critical Reactions guy on YouTube, uh, he referred to this part as, like, the quote-unquote chorus of the song because mm-hmm. it there's that repeating structure. So we have, I ain't saying that I loved you first, but I love you best. Later we get, I don't know if you loved me most, but you loved me last. And then mm-hmm. later we get, I can't claim that I knew you best, but did you know me at all? So there's um, the best vibe gets echoed in two mm-hmm. of the choruses. And then the loved vibe, the loved word <laughs> gets echoed in two of the choruses. It's an interesting organization of things right yeah an interesting valuing of love i think your cat's eating your plants behind oh thank you so much one second (laughs) oh no he walked away thank you sam my god they're so (laughs) they're so intent on destroying anything that i ever try to grow okay (laughs) um yeah it's a very interesting structure and i don't it's not totally clear to me what's happening like you said it could be that she loved him before he loved her or it could be that she loved uh or she's not saying that she loved him before he loved her or it could be that she's not saying that I was the first of your lovers but I was the best of your lovers or maybe I was the best out of you and me I loved you better than you loved me yeah that could be it too. Yeah, and why is it past tense? I don't know. Is it past tense because she's like, she's died? Because at the end of the song, we have, like, I don't know. I really, truly, truly don't know how to. I don't even have a theory, but I'm just inventing it as I speak right now. But she has. We have that like sort of uh, declaration of like intent at the end of this song where she says. And never will I wed. I'll hunt the pearl of death to the bottom of my life and ever hold my breath till I may be the diver's life. So maybe maybe she dies there or something and she's like looking back at her life in this song because if we think of this as like an end of life song then she like has this sort of super narrator perspective because she's able to reflect on Mm -hmm. the course of her life and the dynamics and... She's like, I loved you in life. I I don't know. I'm making shit up. Okay, what tense are we in in this first verse? Is the diver is yeah. my love who takes them by the bub with twigs and lines. So we're we're present. Yeah, we are I'm present. I'm not deceived. He gave to me a jewel. Mm. But that does describe like a discrete event rather than this like ongoing process of like loving. Like if I was currently in love with someone, it would still be okay to say like he gave me a present once, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. And then the next verse, it seems to get back into the present. I know we must abide. Listeners, if you have theories on this, we are... Our ears are open as our hearts are. (laughs) Send us your thoughts and theories and recordings and shit. Okay. Is that it for this verse? Um, Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening to part two of Divers. Uh, It's been, it's been real. Um, It's been a time. (laughs) It's been a time. Uh, We have a Patreon you can check out. It is a hope, uh, no, no, no. It is patreon.com slash a hopeless endeavor. It is linked in the show notes. There you can find early episode releases and bonus episodes. We'd love to have you there. We have an email um, to which you should send all of your voice memos and thoughts and feelings and essays and just one sentence impressions, whatever you want. It is a hopeless endeavor at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We have a Facebook group, Joanna and uh, Hopeless Endeavor, Joanna Newsom podcast. Come hang out with us on there. We have fun. People talk to each other. It's a grand old time. Uh, Sam runs our Instagram. She 
has like this whole link thing set up. It's really cool. Um, the images yeah, she posts. Yeah, all of are these cool. things you can get from the link in our bio. So if you're like, I don't know what they're talking about, just go to Instagram. Go to Instagram. A hopeless endeavor podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, is that it, Sam? Rate and review us. That's it. That's all the things. All right. So we will be back next week with part three of Divers. This shit's gonna go on for a while. So. We- buckle in uh thanks for being here with us we really do appreciate it and we'll see you next time thanks guys bye